0: in Isaiah chapter 52 the last 3 verses Isaiah 52:13 through chapter 53 verse 12 Behold my servant shall deal prudently He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle or startle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him For what had not been told them, they shall see, and what they had not heard, they shall consider. Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of Of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. As I read that passage to you, you did not doubt, you did not wonder of whom it was speaking. You knew. It could only be one person. It's so obviously that it could only be Jesus of Nazareth that was being spoken of there. That before, about 80 years ago... (laughs) that was considered to be a Christian insertion in the book of Isaiah. The oldest copies of the Hebrew Old Testament that we had before the mid-1940s was from about 1000 AD. And a common rabbinical explanation on this passage since it is so obviously Jesus of Nazareth by the Jewish rabbis was, oh, that's a Christian insertion in the book of Isaiah. It's not original. And then, in the mid to late 1940s, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, which date from one to two hundred years before Christ's birth. And here was a clay pot, covered, sealed, that dated from that time. They opened it. Here's the entire scroll of Isaiah, which, by the way, is (laughs) pretty lengthy. And there it was. There was the passage. And so that rabbinical explanation actually became a rabbinical testimony on behalf of Jesus. Yes, it was so obviously Jesus. No, it wasn't an assertion. It's obvious proof that he is the Messiah, the promised one, the promised one. And so what do we find here? As I read through this passage, I'm sure you're being pulled back and forth, and that is intentional. What is heaven's intention for us as we read this passage? Is we are seeing glory and pain, glory and pain, and deprivation, and poverty, and torture, and suffering, and glory, and glory, and elevation and it were torn back and forth. Can you imagine? Here he is, God the Son. God the Son dwelling from eternity in heaven's glory. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Father says to God the Son, here is a fallen human race. Here is an earth that is a hotbed of rebellion, And God so loved us rebels. God so loved us sinners. God so loved us ungodly, as unlike him as we could possibly be, he so loved us that he said, Son, I'm breaking my heart. I'm going to force myself into the most agonizing decision, creating the universe. That's mere finger work. I'm going to break my own heart by sending you to pay sin's penalty for these ungodly, rebellious, filthy sinners. And God the Son, in perfect agreement with His Father, says, and Father, I will go and do such a horribly, horribly painful thing of being separated from You, of bearing the sin penalty due to the human race for an eternity. I will go and bear this. And how, how heavy a, a duty was that for Jesus? for God the Son become flesh what do we see in the garden of gethsemane he separates himself from the apostles to go pray and as he is praying he is his blood pressure is so high the capillaries are bursting and he is sweating and the sweat is mixing with the blood that's the torture that he is experiencing before the arrest and true torture begins. Father, if it be possible, pass this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. And because of his love for the Father, devotion to the Father, his love for us, devotion to us, he allowed himself to be arrested run through unjust trials, be beaten, have a crown of thorns pressed into his head, have the flesh ripped off of his back by the Romans, be mocked, and then nailed to a cross, which was as painful and prolonged and horrible a torture as the Romans could 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 find it was actually something they learned from the carthaginians but it was and as horrible as his physical sufferings were and i don't think we even can measure that it was the invisible judgment that he endured as the father turned away from him and halfway through his six-hour crucifixion experience The sun became dark in the middle of the day. And it became dark. And the the centurion who was leading those who had placed Jesus on that cross, he observed all this. He was there for the whole time. He was one of those who had led in his torture. And then when Jesus dismissed his spirit and there's an earthquake, and he cries out, this centurion cries out, truly, This was the Son of God. He had seen crucifixions before. He had led crucifixion teams before. He had never seen a crucifixion like this. He had never seen a person nailed to a cross who said, Father, forgive them. Those who are at His feet mocking Him, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He had never seen a crucified person say to a person on the cross next to them who has said, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Because that man knew. He knew what the testimony was. He knew what the proofs were. He had heard the accounts of Jesus resurrecting the dead, cleansing lepers, healing thousands of people. Will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? You will be with me this day in paradise. And so we read this. And what do we sense in this passage? We're pulled back and forth between glory and torture. Between, here is a man who is, oh, oh, we think he's getting what he deserved. Oh, no. He's getting what I deserve. Behold, God says, my servant. What is the first statement? Chapter 52, verse 13. My servant shall deal prudently, wisely. Wisely. If if you read through the gospel accounts, what do you see Jesus doing time after time after time after time? He is dealing wisely. Wisely with opponents, with his own disciples who are moving in every direction and questioning, sometimes questioning his wisdom and questioning, hey, Lord, you, you sent us out on this boat and we're about to be drowned. Oh, where's your faith? <laughs> and they are discipled by the master discipler. They see the power of God coming from Jesus. My servant shall deal prudently with applied wisdom, with applied wisdom. We see him, we his disciples will see him walking in wisdom day after day after day after day. He will deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled, praised, worshipped, and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you. Now, my suggestion is this you is Isaiah. Because Isaiah endured a lot of torture and torment. So his visage, his face, his appearance was marred more than any man. And his form more than the sons of men. Isn't it interesting? We've got four gospels. There is no physical description of Jesus. Of course, actually, the Bible bends over. God bends over backward in the Scripture. There is, All we... David was ready. <laughs> Goliath was really tall, and there was another really tall. We do not have. You just don't. And, and, and Esther was beautiful. <laughs> we... The Bible bends over backwards to not give us physical descriptions. But here, the very Son of God become flesh, and there's no physical description. Description of him in the Gospel accounts. Why? Well, as it says here prophetically, 700 years before his birth, there will be nothing about his physical appearance that will draw people's attention. So his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he, and here is a Hebrew word that can be translated one of two ways, and both of them apply. Sprinkled, he shall sprinkle many nations. Well, in the same way that the blood was sprinkled on the altar, the blood was sprinkled to demonstrate a, a covering of sin, but it also can be translated, and some of you may have this in the margin of your Bible startle. And frankly, I think that's probably the one, so will he startle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. One of the terms we use here in the United States of America for our wonderful, beyond the pale politicians, I mean, is they are public servants. Ah, uh, do we hear that term anymore when a tongue isn't stuck in a cheek? <laughs> uh, how many politicos do we actually have that we could say, mm, yeah, maybe a little bit. He is truly the servant. Kings will shut their mouths at him. Why? Because he is truly a servant king in the same way that he washed the feet of the apostles and then told them to wash one another's feet and so as we said in the testimony time the foot washing we are to be he is the foot washing god and in that culture that was considered to be the most demeaning task you could assign to your lowest slave and yet here is the god of creation assigning him self that task, and kings will shut their mouths at him. Okay. Kings will shut their mouths at him for what had not been told them, oh, this is actual royal behavior, <laughs> they shall see. And what had they had not heard, they shall consider. I've never heard of a king who washed feet and more than in that ceremonial sense, more than in that practical sense, because they walked in filthy roads. But he, when going to the cross, became, the scripture says, he became the very embodiment of sin. He became res, took upon himself the responsibility for every sin committed by every member of the human race from the fall of man to the end. And he paid sins penalty and that statement that I've pointed you to several times the sixth of the seven statements from Jesus on the cross we translated it "It is finished it the word that expression really means in their culture it meant paid in full the sin debt of the human race had been paid by Jesus Well, if my debt has been paid, how do I benefit from that accomplished task? I simply say, please, may I have that benefit? I believe it's true that Jesus did it. May I have the benefit? And God's 100% of the time response is yes, gladly. Gladly, just like that man crucified beside Jesus who said to the other man crucified on the other side of Jesus, we deserve what we're getting. What an admission. You deserve crucifixion? And then said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You will be with me this day in paradise. kings shall shut their mouths at him for what had not been told them they shall see and what they had not heard they shall consider they will be shocked when the word comes to them of what true royal leadership looks like who has believed our report my you hear this how can this possibly be to whom is the arm of the Lord, the strength of God, been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. Does any good thing come out of Nazareth? He's a Galilean. My word, he's from way out there. We despise Galileans, said the typical Judean Jewish fellow. Who is he? What is he? He shall grow up before him, he shall grow up before him, God, as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He does not look like he's going to accomplish anything. What could be accomplished by this Nazarene, this son of a carpenter? We know him, said the Nazarenes. We've known him all of his life. We know his father. We know his brothers. We know his sisters. We know his mama. How can he possibly? They had no such expectation. Now, if you ask them at the same time, well, what fault can you describe it? Oh, well, you know, Jesus really did have a pretty good reputation here in Nazareth. <laughs> but he's a Nazarene, as a Galilean. Has any good thing ever come out of Nazareth, the people ask? There is no beauty. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He isn't... He hasn't, striking in his personal appearance. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. To despise something means to give it no value. He is despised and we did not esteem him. We placed no value on him. This man of sorrows who is acquainted with grief, oh, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. The griefs we saw him endure, the sorrows we saw him endure, oh my, he was enduring what should have been our punishment, our torture. We esteemed him, stricken, smitten by God. He's getting what he deserves. Listen to these words of Annas and Caiaphas, the high priest and his father-in-law, standing at the foot of Jesus' cross, who had engineered his crucifixion. Listen to these words. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. Wait, uh, uh, What did you just admit to? What did you just admit to knowing? He saved others others. He saved others. Lazarus was a personal acquaintance of theirs. Lazarus was a prominent man in Bethany, which was a suburb of Jerusalem. There were Jewish leaders there with the sisters of Lazarus, helping them through the mourning process, who were standing there when they saw Lazarus called forth from the tomb by Jesus. And many in the Jewish leadership It says in John 11, believed in him. But others turned on their heel and ran to the high priest and said, now we've got a real problem because he's raised Lazarus and everybody in our circle knows Lazarus. Oh, well, now we have two. This is what it says. Now we have two people to kill. What was the crime of Lazarus? (laughs) Being a Jesus miracle. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. No, himself he chooses not to save because he's in the process of saving us. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that would bring peace to us was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. We are made whole and welcome, gladly welcome in the presence of God by what he does. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned, every one, no exceptions, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. At the same time Jesus was being run through these illegal trials, and these unjust trials, so much so obviously unjust that Pilate washed his hands from the blood of this just man. It was so that Jesus would be led to that cross and crucified and there pay sin's penalty for us. It completely freed his Holy Father to forgive every sort of sinner. I think we're going to be shocked when we get into heaven. Number one, I'm there. (laughs) Number two, we're going to hear testimonies of people that the world would have said, no way. No way way like that man crucified beside Jesus like that man Saul of Tarsus who was the tip of the spear in the persecution of the church who became the Apostle Paul All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God began to pour out in an invisible judgment, invisible judgment, on his own Son, on God the Son, true God of true God, true man of true man, not half man, half God, fully God, fully man. That's why he could bear the entire weight of the sin debt of the entire human race. And Jesus cried out, quoting Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And of course, much of Psalm 22 had already been and was about to be fulfilled. Psalm 22 also says, before crucifixion had even been invented, they have pierced my hands and my feet. They have cast lots for my garment. It's, they give me vinegar to drink. Written a thousand years before Jesus' birth. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth, and Pilate was startled. Why don't you have any answers to the accusations they are bringing against you? He had never had a candidate for crucifixion not defend himself and not be begging for mercy. And Jesus said not a word until finally Pilate said, they're accusing you of saying that you were a king. Is that true? Yes, and as a matter of fact, that is a true accusation. I am the king of the Jews. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. He was deprived of his legal rights. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as his sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And and that Pilate who said, I find no fault in this man. What was happening at the same time? This is all happening. Lambs are being expected in the temple. And any lamb for the Passover, any lamb that had a single imperfection would be rejected. They had to be absolutely perfect. Perfect. Before they qualified to be a Passover lamb, and here was the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, said John the Baptist, being examined by his worst enemies and by a Roman ruler, and they can find no fault in him. When Pilate said to the Jewish accusers, what are you accusing him of? Just crucify him. What? That's not how it works, guys. Well, that's what happened. Verse 8, he was taken from prison and from judgment, given an unjust trial. And who will declare his generation? This looks like it's the end of him. We will be finally rid of him. For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, crucified between two malefactors, or are called, two thieves. But with the rich at his death. This is written a thousand years before Jesus' birth. Excuse me, 700 years before Jesus' birth. He was put in the tomb of... Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man. Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, accompanied by Nicodemus, took the carcass of Jesus, thus making themselves unable to keep the Passover. They were defiled, handling a dead body, but they handled the body. of Jesus. By the way, they weren't really defiled because this is Holy Jesus. Holy Jesus could touch a leper and cleanse the leper. He didn't become defiled. Anybody else touching a leper is ritually unclean. But they handled the carcass of Jesus and placed Jesus into the, after binding him in the, in the linen cloth, they placed him in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man's tomb. He made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, Father, into your hand, it is finished, it is paid in full. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And his spirit left and went into the presence of the Father because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. And this was a gigantic mess up by heaven. It was a totally unexpected, no, what does it say? Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He, God, has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. Would you like to be welcomed into my presence, says the holy God? Why, yes, I would. Well, what is your offering? Well, it better not be your so-called good works. It better not be some animal sacrifice. There's only one acceptable offering, the offering that God himself presented on your behalf of his son, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world on the cross. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When you make his soul an offering for sin, he, God, shall see his seed. He'll see the outcome of what his son did. He shall prolong his days. He will grant eternal life. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in His hand. This Lamb of God who paid sin's penalty for us is resurrected and given all authority in heaven and on earth. And He will carry out God's will from then on. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in His hand. He, God the Father, shall see the labor of his soul in what he endured on the cross and be satisfied. Paid in full. The sin debt of the human race has been paid. And be satisfied. By his knowledge, by our knowledge of him, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great. He will step into kingdom glory and all of kingdoms, the eternal reign, power. All power in heaven and on earth. I will divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. He will parcel that victory and elevation out to us. We have a welcome at the Father's table. We are gladly welcomed. God looks at each one of us, having placed our faith in, He looks at each one of us as little Christs. I'll take that. He will, I will divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he obeyed in the most difficult test that could be imagined because he poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Jesus qualified himself for the highest of king of heaven's glory by going to the depth for us as our servant king. As our servant king. When Lucifer, and I know he does this because we all have the same experience. When Lucifer who is called in Revelation 12, the accuser of the brethren, says to you, you piece of garbage. Do you really think that a holy God would welcome you? Get over it. You know what you're like inside. But what does it say in Revelation 12 about the brethren whom he accuses day and night before the throne of God. By the way, he also accuses you. He sits on your shoulder accusing you. And he doesn't have to make up anything. It says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. They overcame him by what Jesus had accomplished for them on the cross. Not their own works, his work. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. When they wouldn't shut up, With their friends and their acquaintances and the people they associate when they wouldn't shut up about the gospel by the word of their testimony and because they did not love their lives even unto death the ultimate victory the ultimate honor as much as it frightens us the ultimate honor to God that we can bring to God, is offering our very lives to Him. We prayed earlier for the persecuted church, for those who have been suffering and even being killed because of their loyalty to Jesus. That's a victory. That's a victory, and it shames Satan every time when his people do not back down. By the blood of the Lamb, By the word of their testimony, because they did not love their lives even unto death, we have a Savior who has fully embraced us. We have a kingdom that is coming, that is glory beyond our ability to get our minds wrapped around. There's no way. We don't have a frame of reference here that even begins to touch the the heaven glory that we're going to be walking into. He's given us that. He's walked us. He's walking us into that. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray together. Our Lord, what a testimony you prophesied 700 years in advance of your incessant love and devotion to us that this, this very Son of God, God the Son, would become flesh, become fully a man so that he could pay sins penalty for us and create a, an outrageous, wonderful welcome into the presence of the holy God and kingdom glory to come forever and ever and ever. Lord, we we just ask that you would enable us this week to walk in the understanding of that immeasurable mercy. Enable us to do that, we ask. And all God's people said, amen.